This is the Next Level Running Podcast, brought to you by the expert coaches at Run Doyen, helping runners of all levels crush their goals on race day by matching you with the perfect coach or training plan. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us here again on the Next Level Running Podcast. As always, I'm your host, David Jankowski, here to kick off another edition of this podcast. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes so far, as I always say, and that you're subscribed. It's a good way to make sure that this podcast ends up in your inbox immediately when it comes out. That way you know not to miss anything. That said, many of you are saying, hey, it's the 13th of the month. Where's the Instagram Live running replay? And I'm sorry to tell you, uh, this month, we didn't have an IG Live event. Uh, part of that was because uh, some of our coaches uh, were a little bit ill, so they took the end of that month off, and so they couldn't record that episode. Uh, but I didn't want to leave you leave you all hanging. I know we've been growing in listeners now over the past few months, and I didn't want to have a gap in content for you all, especially when you're expecting something on the 13th. So instead, we're going to plant in here a special episode. And this one comes right out of something you've been hearing every month here on this podcast, which is about our Facebook group page. So many of you know we've been we've been pulling questions from our Facebook group to get some of the, the conversation topics for the IG Live running replays, but also to the main form podcast. So we pull those out into a longer form discussion and answer your questions specifically. Uh, but we have quite the conversation going on in that Facebook group, and we're building quite the community. With that in mind, I thought it might be interesting to run through some of the questions that are on that Facebook message board and answer them here on the air for you so you can hear at least my perspective as as one coach uh, and how I might approach uh, some of these questions and give you direct answers uh, for those of you who've been participating on that Facebook group. And then too, if you haven't already, I do have a link in the description to that Facebook group so you can join those conversations. Like I said, really starting to build quite a community there. Uh, which is which is a really good quasi replacement, perhaps, or is that how you say that word quasi? Anyway, uh, quasi replacement for the, uh, the running community that you may have had pre-pandemic. I know many of us uh, in different states or different countries even may have fairly strict COVID restrictions, or you just may not feel safe at the moment yet. Too, I know uh, different people have different risk tolerances, so you may not have that community environment back yet. I know many of us looked forward to our our weekly runs with our our community of runners, whether it's at the local running store or you just had a couple running buddies that you went out with. And uh, that may not be possible at the moment. And we don't know maybe how long it might take um, for things to normalize in that sense. Uh, So we thought it might be an interesting thing to do to set up this Facebook group to continue this conversation so you could continue to build some sort of running community bounce running ideas, training ideas off each other. Uh, And I I think it's been pretty exciting so far. So go take a look at that. And maybe before I jump into some of the questions on this Facebook group, a quick petition and reminder, as as we always do at the beginning and end of these podcasts, if you haven't already, go rank this podcast, whatever you think is fair on whatever podcast platform it is you're listening to this on, and drop in a couple comments, what you like, how you think things are going, maybe your favorite episode, uh, or just shoot me a, an emoji, a smiley face emoji and say, hey, Dave, I finally did it. Uh, rank the podcast. 
uh, <laughs> we greatly appreciate that. Uh, one of the things is, if you do like what we're doing, that's one of the best ways you can help this podcast grow because it feeds the algorithm. So the podcast platform you're on is more likely to share this podcast with others who are looking for running-related material. Uh, perhaps better than that, one of the things you can do to help us promote this podcast, if you think we're doing some good work and it's interesting, is just share it with your, your friends, running partners, uh, anyone you may think will find specific episodes interesting or the podcast itself interesting. Uh, that helps us grow. And I know many of you have been doing that over the last few months because we've seen a drastic up, uptick in viewership. So thank you for those of you who are new, those of you who've been sticking around for a while, long time listeners, first time caller kind of kind of individuals. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Um, we greatly appreciate your, your help, your viewership, and we hope we continue to bring you better and better information to keep pushing your running boundaries forward. So without further ado, let's get into some of those questions that are holding people back in our Facebook group and see if, see what we can do to ameliorate some of your concerns and get your running, rocking, and rolling for the next big race. All right, so here we go. All right, opening up that Facebook group page. As I said, Next Level Running, you can search that in Facebook groups and find us, or there's a link in the description if you want to join the chat. But let's get it going. As I said, a little bit of a special episode, so uh, we'll just answer these questions and go from there. First question on the Next Level Running Facebook page. So the first question is about long runs, especially during a marathon segment. Uh, the author is curious. He's been building uh, long run duration, and this last week went for uh, miles rather than duration. So that 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 mileage got him over the amount of time that was planned for his run. He's wondering which is better. Is it better to run for an amount of miles, say an 18 miler, or for a total duration, two and a half hours, we'll say. And he has a second question that follows up on that, which is, let's say that my marathon long run duration was something like four, four and a half hours, and somehow I ran farther than a marathon. Would that be an issue? Would your body acclimate to running super marathon distance or ultra marathon is probably <laughs> the more accurate description. Um, uh, those are my words. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm summarizing the question. So uh, super marathon is my own phrase. That's a uh, copyright, by the way. Uh, but let's, uh, let's take a look. So on the first half of this question, so talking about, is it better, better to run for duration or total miles? I would say this is a total preference, uh, and it depends on where you are mentally. So some people really need to have a specific amount of miles under their, their belt to feel comfortable running a marathon. Others, and I think physiologically, it's, it's, it's not too big a difference uh, because you're still getting the same amount of uh, physiological response, that increased vascularization, so you're, you're increasing the capillary beds that feed blood, so the nutrients and oxygen to your muscles during those long runs, they're innervated and they're told to either expand and continue building capillary beds, increase that oxygen carrying capacity of the red blood cells. These types of things are happening for those long duration runs. Any of those runs over 45 minutes are really helping to, to spur that. And then two, once you look over the hour and a half threshold, you get another uh, boost for the more endurance uh, side of those things. I won't get too um, technical, but 
that's kind of what you're looking at. And so that longer duration is what's important more so than the number of miles that you run. Your body doesn't know the difference between 14 and 15 miles or, or 14 and 20 miles. All your body knows is effort and total duration of that effort. So when, when your coach is pulling together your training cycle, that's more so what they're looking at. They're trying to stress the body at a certain level for a certain amount of time. If that means 15 miles, that means 15 miles. If that means two and a half hours, that might mean 15 miles. But for me, the way that I approach these long runs is to look at duration first and then see what the mileage ends up becoming. Uh, because really it's about getting in that long run effort, the time on the feet to, to encourage that type of increased vascularization, increased red blood cell count, uh, increased oxygen carrying capacity of those red blood cells while doing that long effort rather than the total number of miles. But some people do prefer to have the total number of miles ahead of time. And I'm within reason, you know, you know, after a while, you know, a 16 mile run, maybe that's going to take you two hours and 20 minutes. Let's say just a random time, you know, it'll be two hours, 15 to two thirty on a bad day. So, you know, basically what that window is going to be. And so that's, that's usually the way I, I, I look at runs and even for my athletes, when I'm picking, uh, dur- durations for them, if it's, if I do them, I usually do this based on miles when I hand out, um, a training schedule, but I'm thinking about the total time. So it's, it's a mix of things and it's kind of what, what's easier for you to put in your head. But that said, 20 miles is no better than three hours, uh, in like, uh, practically. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that answers your question. It's, it's really about duration, but if you need a specific mile milestone to feel comfortable running your next marathon, then I have no problem with you deciding, Hey, it's going to be 18 miles today instead of two and a half hours or instead of three hours. Uh, so that that's, that's not an issue for me. Um, the other half of that, let's say that you had a four and a half hour long run scheduled for, for some reason, uh, and you got over 26, let's say you got 30 miles in four and a half hours. I think that's okay. And you know, there are two different distance running philosophies on this. I I've never, I've never been one to think that you need to go over distance to be ready for a distance for specifically for the marathon. It's long enough that you, you don't need to have touched 26 to be able to run 26. Um, for example, my first marathon, I think the longest long run I did in that segment was 20 or 22 right in that ballpark. And I felt great throughout that whole marathon. I didn't have any issues. I made some mistakes. Um, and I felt great in terms of marathon racing, but you don't need to have run 26, 27, 28 to be able to run 26. Um, that said, many other coaches believe that doing that over distance makes the marathon significantly easier for you. It makes you feel smooth, controlled, relaxed, uh, on the marathon in a way that you couldn't, had you not done like a 30 or 32 mile run. So it's a philosophy thing there. Um, but to this, uh, this individual's point, uh, I don't think that running a 32 or, or a 30 mile run would necessarily make you some sort of ultra marathoner. It wouldn't change your physiology so much by doing one or two runs that it would totally undermine your training. Uh, this really comes down to a coaching philosophy and to what, what may work best for you individually as an athlete, 
which is, do you need that mental confidence and that mental experience of going beyond the marathon distance to feel okay running and racing at marathon pace? Because there's a difference between running a marathon and racing a marathon. And and that's oftentimes why people do the over distance to get ready for a marathon is so they know they can run it, but can I race it? So that's, that's the way I'd approach those things. And I also know the other half of why I don't give these 30 mile long runs to people during, during my training segments, that's a long day for many people. A 30 mile run is going to be minimum, minimum three hours for, for the best athletes in the country. You're going to run six minute pace for that thing. You're going to run three hours. Those are, those are the elite athletes. These are the guys who are talking about running the Olympic trials. After that, your Boston qualifiers, we're talking three and a half, four hours, maybe even 4.30 for 30 miles. Um, maybe, well, shoot, maybe even five hours for 30 miles. Um, <clears throat> and as you're getting beyond five hours, this is one heck of a run. This is a big day. And I don't know if the detriment of having that long of continual stress on the body during a marathon segment is as helpful as it as it is setting you back for the the rest of the week of training. So when I hand out training, this is why I avoid 30 mile runs. The only people I'd consider it with are people who are looking to run under 220 for the marathon. So that's something I would I would consider there. But if you did run a 30 miler, it's not like tomorrow all of a sudden you're going to be an ultra marathon athlete. So I also wouldn't worry about that side. Um, it's more just practicality. So we'll scroll on to the next question. Hopefully that at least gives you a, a flavor of what I'd be thinking on those long runs. Uh, next question is about strength training. And I think this is one that comes up often. Should I be doing strength training? And what types of activities can make me a stronger and faster runner? I think this is a, a great question. Like I said, a, a very common question across the board. And you're going to get different answers depending on who you're talking to. And I think with, with every answer I'm going to give you today, and I think any, any coach worth their salt would recognize this too, is it really depends on the athlete. Some athletes are going to be uh, very specifically need some things. Like I said in the last question, you may be the kind of athlete who knows I, I, I just need to have a 20 miler under my belt. Otherwise, I don't feel good about the marathon. And other athletes, they'll be fine. Hey, 16, I'm good. I know I can do it. I've put in the work. I trust my coach. I trust my body. I trust, you know, I trust the plan. And they're, they're okay with that. So you kind of need to know who you are as an athlete, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And I think this is the same thing that happens when we talk about strength training. So when we talk about strength training, some people are just strong. They're explosive. And this speed thing, it's more just, you don't have to cultivate the speed. You just need to maintain it. You just need to give it a little get up and go and it's there. Other people, you really need to build it. And so it depends where you are in that spectrum and then to what, what race you're training for because there's a different type of strength training I would assign for a high school or college athlete looking to run uh, an 800 or a, a mile and even a high school or college athlete trying to run a 5k 10k and then to a marathoner or an ultra marathoner they're, they're totally different types of things that you may engage in so some of the quick easy ones that you can really add that people count as strength training, even to looking at some of the comments here. I think the skips, especially post long run and medium long run, I love adding in skips. These can be A skips, 
B skips, backward A skips, uh, and then two strides. Those are, those are the, the four things I really like to add in. These work on your form. The skips give you just a tiny bit of explosion, but also to coordination, and it helps with uh, the moving the limbs in space. Doing this after long runs helps wake up different muscle fibers, which, help, which, ugh, which helps you recover a little, more, little bit more quickly. And then doing strides teaches your body to run quickly after it's tired. So if you went, and, like on the last question, let's say you did your 20-mile your long run, three-hour long run. After that, take a quick break, do some strides, get in, let's say six to eight is typically what I do, six to eight, about 100-meter 100 um, speed bursts or strides. You can look these up online if you aren't familiar with strides, but I'm sure many of you are. Um, so it's basically just a gradual speed increase to about 80%, 85 maybe 90% of full sprint speed. Never up to that full speed where you're just hammering it home. Basically, a good way to think of it is you build up to speed and about 50 meters into this 100-meter stride, so halfway, you should be at a pace that you can hold for the final 50, uh, maybe a little farther than that along. So you'd be maybe 60 meters and you hold it for 40 meters. But... The way I find the right pace, and it, it'll speed up as you go through these because your body will wake up into it, but as soon as you start to feel your form break up, you know, that one arm that maybe goes crooked across the midline of your body when you get going too fast, when that starts to happen and you can't control the, st the stride and feel smooth, that's the pace that you should cruise at. Right between feeling smooth and strong and a little bit too fast to where you're falling apart. So that's good stride um, etiquette. Etiquette? That's not the right word. But good stride uh, implementation is maybe a good way to say that. So A skips, for those who aren't aware, it's like high knees, except for you skip at the top, right? Skip, skip, skip with the high knee. Uh, and then B skips are same thing, except for when you get the leg up for the, the high knee, then you kick it out straight in front of you so it's now parallel to your body and then you pull it back down almost like you're slapping the floor with the bottom of your foot and that'll spring you back up into the next skip kick the leg out bang really engage in the hamstring so it's a very explosive movement uh, so that's the the b skip backward a is similar to the the forward a except for you cycle your leg out behind you so you go high knee skip and then you kind of pull your your leg back behind you to move a little bit backward try not to uh uh, twist your body a bunch like you're um, doing the twist, right? Uh, try to keep everything in a line on the same plane. And then uh, another I like, especially if you feel like you really need to build speed, you don't have much strength, uh, and you need to build some things up, I like bounding as well. Finding a gradual uphill incline, especially if you can find kind of a long one. You can do your strides on the uphill, walk back downhill, stride uphill. I like to do this early in a segment. Um, and then I couple that. So on usually uh, once to twice a week in the, in the base training phase, and sometimes early in a, in a segment, add uphill bounding. So that can be um, long, like explosive uphill bounding. So almost like a stride uphill, but fat, um, big, like jumping forward for distance, uh, leg, 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 almost like you're running. And then also two uh, skips for height uphill. So going more for as high as you can go rather than as far as you can go. 
and then two, uh, many people do like, um, I like the, like almost like a, a two-legged jump. So you would, oops, you would sit the bottom of the hill, jump with both legs as far up as you can go and do it again all the way to the top of the hill. Uh, those are some, some ideas. I, I would mix it up with your coach based on what you need, but th- those are some of the, the quick ways that you can get some, some speed uh, in you. The one I, I love for everyone is strides. Strides, skips, those are good ways to flush out the legs after those long runs. Switch the muscle fibers you're using, speed up that recovery, and then to put some juice in those legs. There are other things you can do too with, with weights. Um, I always love planks and core routines, but I think some of this is very specific and, and it'd be good to work with your specific coach to grab uh, where you need to be. And I, I try to do this with all my athletes, and I know that uh, all the coaches at Rundoy and do that too. And you can always just ask too. Our, our coaches are really good about those types of things. Uh, let's see. So next question. This question uh, comes from somebody who's been trail running. They said they were out on a, uh, a recent vacation, and they substituted intervals for uh, a couple trail runs, especially some pretty aggressive hills in those trail runs. And they said, are trail runs a good substitution for intervals? <laughs> and I like the first comment comes from one of the coaches here at Rundoy and Mark Hadley, um, and he quotes uh, Frank Shorter, to so the Olympic gold medalist, and he's also to a silver medalist, um, who said, hills are speed work in disguise. And I, I agree with Mark. Mark's, Mark's got a lot of good ideas, so <laughs> pay attention to some of the things he says in the comments, because um, he, he wrote the book on running, literally. Um, but I, I, I agree here. I, the one thing is, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't confuse all trail running with a substitution for intervals, because it depends on what people consider trail running. And sometimes, depending on the community I've been in, trail running is just a run that's on dirt. And an easy run on flat dirt is not the same as intervals. Um, If you're running a lot of hills, and that's, I think, to Mark's point, uh, and Frank Shorter's for that matter, uh, those those hills where you have to kind of gradually change change paces, it creates a subtle fart lick within your workout. So it creates its own type of interval session, a passive interval, if you will. And I really like hills for that reason. And I think that's, that's why a lot of people put hills in the early phase of training. So you do base phase and then you add like a, a hill slash tempo phase where it's a lot of passive work through those hills where you're getting some of that same type of, of pressure and stress on the muscles as intervals but in a way that you can control it and you don't have to be thinking about times and paces and things like that. So I do like hilly runs and particularly extremely hilly runs for substitute like fartlek or like soft, um, soft, heavy workout days, more like your, your fartlek day or your, your tempo run kind of day. And, and even as this question asked to break up the monotony, I think that's part of it. Uh, it's a little bit more fun and you feel like you've, you've really accomplished something, especially when you make a big climb and you're looking off over some pristine view. So, uh, I do, I do like, uh, hills and this type of work as a substitute, maybe to, to normal workout sessions. So that's the answer there. We'll get down to the next one. So (laughs) I, I like the way this is phrased. 
Uh, so this person says, I'll read this one straight out. So, uh, hey, silly question. Uh, my first 5K is this coming Friday. Uh, I've been training since May. What is your race week routine? Any tips, tricks, etc.? So I don't think this is a silly question. I think this is a great question. Um, I'll do this for, for all races. I, I have a different routine for different race dis- distances. And I'll, I'll try to, I'll go back to the 5K afterward. But generally across all races, at the beginning of the week, I'm paring things down. I don't, I don't tend to do a really, really intense workout within 10 days of my race. I will do workouts to keep the consistency in my training segment. But I will not do a really heavy, uh, like five times, uh, five times mile or, or two times three mile or anything like this, that type of, that type of hard, heavy interval or really long tempo workout isn't going to happen in the last 10 days, days of any segment that I'm, I'm giving someone, unless your race is mid cycle. If this is your goal race, yeah, I'm not doing anything in those last 10 days like that. However, I will put in usually, let's say it's a Saturday race, the Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday before, I'll do some workouts at pace. So let's say this is a, uh, a 5K. I might do rhythm 400s or rhythm 800s, so half miles or quarter miles, at your 5K pace uh, and do at just a handful of them. So if you're, if you're looking at half miles, maybe six of those, four to six of them, depending on, on what your total mileage is at that point. Uh, just to kind of feel out pace. Now, if this is your first 5K, I, I may not do that many. Um, I may just do uh, like four to six, 400s at pace, just to kind of feel it out, to let your body know, hey, this is what it's going to feel like, and so that you can think about that when you hit the line. So that's one of the things I do is on that Monday or Tuesday before a Saturday or Sunday race, uh, get out and do some rhythm quarters or eights. Uh, the longer the distance is, the, the longer those rhythm distances are, but I won't go much over a mile. So even for the marathon, I usually do five to six times a rhythm mile at that, that goal pace. Pretty controlled and with fairly short recovery because it, it should feel relatively easy to lock into to goal pace for that shorter distance. And that's more than anything just to feel it out. I know some people also prefer to do like 200s and really get their legs moving, especially on the last few for these shorter races. I'm okay with that too. I just wouldn't give... Uh, the type of workout that really makes you put your hands around your ankles, fall down on the track, and and feel like you need a week to recover because <laughs> you've got your big race coming up. You don't want to do that to yourself. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is just to, to chill through miles. Some people like to taper. I've I found that for myself, tapering makes me feel flat. Like I, I don't have anything in my legs. My legs feel dead. They don't feel as explosive. So I, I do a very light taper. So if I were running... I'll just give a random, this isn't, this is less than I was running, but let's say I was running 60 miles a week. I wouldn't come much farther down than 50 for that last week before the race, the week of the race. Um, and maybe not even that far, but it really depends on the person. Some people really do well, knocking that mileage almost in half. Uh, I haven't, for me, that always just made me feel lethargic. So I, and then it makes me overthink my races, which gets me into my next point. So you bring your miles down a little bit, a lot more easy running. Uh, you get in some of those rhythm uh, quarters or, or eights or even miles, depending on the distance you're running on that, that race day. 
And then I do a lot of visualization. I think through the race. I find the race course. I look at the elevation profile. And I start to look through it and find markers where I know I could make moves. I think through what the race day uh, weather might be like. What kind of things does the weather tell me that might change the way that I prepare for this race? I know I've put in the hard work to do this, and I've run for a 5K. Hopefully, you've run more than a 5K already. And so I know I can finish this distance, but what's going to set me up for success? And I think through one of the big ones I do, visualization, I work with my, co- my, my athletes on this, which is start at the very beginning. You're on the race line. You've got everything you need, or maybe you forgot something. Think about that. What would you do? You totally forgot, I don't know, whatever it is. How do you approach that? How do you deal with that? All right. You rectify it. Everything's good. Again, you're at the race line. Gun goes off. Boom. You get off the line. How'd you get out? Did you get out a little too fast? A little too slow? Are you right where you want to be? If you're not right where you want to be, rewind the tape, do it again. And just visualize yourself going through that. And even too, if you visualize and you got out way too fast, how do you respond to that? How do you recover from that? Well, maybe you catch yourself. You know, hey, oh, I'm going a little too quick. Let's let's dial it back a little bit, calm down, and just chill out for the next 600 meters, half mile, and lock back into pace. And going through each of those things, or even too, oh, the headwind is terrible. You know, I broke out of the group. I was going to pass, and people in the wind was just insane. How do you deal with that? Are you tucking back in and trying to hide with the group to protect yourself and and save energy? Or do you say, you know what, I'm just going to power through and catch the next group? How How do you go through each of those potential negative things that could come up in the race? And what I find is that by doing this, this allows me to feel like I've been there before. It allows you to run through the race more confidently and to execute a better strategy because things don't surprise you because you've already thought through them. It seems like a lot of mental work, but you do it one or two times and things in races just stop surprising you uh, to an extent, right? (laughs) You're always going to have those surprises. But I do find that to be a very powerful way to get ready the race week. And then two, uh, the day of the race, some people like to carbo load the night before. I'm not huge on that. Um, I think eat, eat something you're comfortable with. Same thing the morning before. Eat things that are known things. Don't go change your routine entirely. Do the same stuff you did before hard workouts. Um, But one thing I like to do, especially before those morning races, is try to wake up three hours before the race. Uh, Some people say even more, four hours. Uh, I think Ryan Vale and I talked about this on the the Next Level Running podcast previously, is waking up quite a bit before your race and doing something that keeps you moving just to make sure your body's fully awake when you get on race line. You don't want to wake up an hour before the race. I, I do that before a lot of easy runs. Um, I wake up 10 minutes before a lot of easy runs. Wake up, throw the clothes on, shoes on, out the door. But you don't want to do that before a race. It's just not, it's, it's not conducive to a really good, hard effort. Um, so wake up a good three, four hours before the race. Make sure you fuel, get some food in you. Whatever you know your body can handle. Some people, there are very specific things you can eat. But don't try something new. Don't go have a, a brand new uh, flavor of of uh, goo or power bar or something like that that might throw your stomach for a loop uh, drink some water and uh, 
do the same things you do before a, a big workout. That's the way I would approach race day and the day before. So you want to hear more about that? I, Ryan Bale and I did talk about this on the Next Level Running Podcast. So find his episode. He, he does a wonderful job of walking through his race week and how he prepares for a marathon. Let's do, let's see, let's do one or two more here. I'll give you a couple more that we can walk through. And the next one is about shoe advice. So this is a uh, retired hockey player who uh, has just gotten into running, needs some shoe advice, wants to keep the shoe price under $180. (laughs) It seems like shoe prices keep going up and up and up, right? But I think the easiest thing to do here with shoes is go to a local running store if you've got one nearby and have them do a gait analysis. Have them watch you run on the treadmill see what your feet are doing. Ideally, they'll they'll videotape it so they can show it back to you. And they can put it in slow-mo so you can kind of see how much you're pronating. Are you over-pronating? Are you maybe under-pronating or supinating? Or is your pronation pretty normal, pretty neutral? Uh, and that'll help you pick which category of shoe you want to be in. Once you know that, you can gravitate toward a certain structure of shoe within a given brand. I think all the major brands that you've probably heard of are, are going to be good. Uh, to give you a general list, you know, the Nike, Brooks, Hoka, Asics, Adidas, um, oh, On is another good one, Saucony, Mizuno, any of these, uh, Ultra is another good one. That There are a, f- a, a large amount of really great running shoes, and even in the trail running shoes, Montreal, uh, shoes like that, there are a ton of good shoes, and if your local running store has them, they're, they're, they aren't going to have a lot of bad shoes on that, that shelf. But the issue is there may be one shoe that's better for you. And within each of those companies, they'll have different structures of shoes based on that gait analysis that I mentioned. So if you're an overpronator, there are sh- certain shoes within each company that are going to better fit your stride and your running type. And that's why I say it's worth going to a running shoe store rather than uh, me just saying, hey, it's the company name, model number. No, it's it's more based on your, your running type, your foot strike type, and then looking at that. And I would start at the, if you can, at that general entry level for most of the shoes. I think now it's about 100, 100 to 125 for the, for the general entry level shoe uh, for most of those companies that I mentioned. Uh, though some are a little bit higher. I know on or more in the 160 range. But that's where I would look first. Uh, If you've had a lot of injury history, you may want to get one of the higher-end shoes um, that has significantly more cushion and more to give back to you. Or you may want to look at something like a Hoka, which has just got a ton of padding underneath it. Uh, Something to keep in mind when you look at Hokas is the level of drop in the shoe. So the drop is how much the the heel-to-toe change is. So it's almost like wearing a high heel. There'd be a really big drop on a high-heeled shoe, especially like a stiletto, right? You could have, I don't know how many, a bunch of millimeter drop in that. The standard running shoe used to have about 12 millimeters drop. That was about 10 years ago. They've slowly brought that down. I think 8 millimeters is more standard now. Uh, so your heel sits about 8 millimeters higher than your toe in that shoe. And raising that heel takes some stress off the Achilles. It makes running a little bit easier and supports uh, some of the, sh- the the foot. However, it decreases how much some of your, your stabilizing muscles engage. 
when you're running. And this is why people started leaning towards some of those barefoot shoes like Vibrams and things like that. But the problem is the Vibrams had no cushion. And a lot of times people have been used to being in those support shoes for their whole life. So what happened? They switched to Vibrams. Immediately their muscles are taking on a whole bunch more stress that they're not used to. They're engaging stabilizer muscles they've never engaged. So they get tired very quickly. And then all the stress goes to the bones. So what happens? People get stress fractures. People get muscle injuries. Because you, if you are going to transition to a, sh a shoe with a zero drop, so there's no difference between the heel height and the toe height in that shoe, uh, it's good to have a little bit of cushion first. That's why Ultra does this. That's why Hoka does this. There are many other shoe companies that have a lower drop. I know Saucony has a lot of four millimeter drop and below. Uh, and other companies do this now too. Uh, Brooks has a whole series on this as well, as well as Nike. But uh, if you're going to do that early on, especially if you've been running in a bigger, bulkier shoe, it's a good idea to switch back and forth. Do some of your shorter runs in those, those low drop shoes first and slowly work your way up or down rather <laughs> to the low drop uh, because it'll help your muscles get used to that and also help help your bones um, get used to the increased pounding. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're looking for injuries. So those are some things you can think about. Another way that people do this too, if you're really interested in the zero drop type of idea and barefoot running, um, is after your uh, some of your short runs or even a medium long run, when we talked about strides earlier, you can drop your strides, do them without shoes on, on like a soccer field or a artificial grass, turf, something like that. Just make sure you know what you're running through so you're not running through a pile of glass because that would be, ugh, I, I, yeah. Make make sure you know what you're running through. I did, I did this once on an artificial turf that was uh, being treated and I broke out in, in a terrible rash for like a week. So uh, know what you're running through if you're going to go barefoot. <laughs> um, but that's a that's a good workaround to kind of strengthen those those toes and the stabilizing muscles in a less intrusive way than wearing just barefoot shoes all the time if you're not used to it. And again, if you get used to it, and I'm, I'm sure some people listening are like, hey, I'm a barefoot shoe wearer. Um, that's fine. <laughs> as long as it's working for you, just as you're transitioning to something new, make sure to give yourself some time. And that's also even a good segue into when you're getting a new shoe. Sometimes, actually oftentimes, when I, I worked at a shoe store for, for quite a few years, many of the injuries I would see uh, at the shoe store were because somebody went from a really old beat the heck shoe to a brand new shoe. So it wasn't so much that it was the new shoe that was causing it. It was the change in surface that was causing it. So they'd get an injury because uh, they'd switch from a beat up shoe that was forcing their foot to do a bunch of weird things because of how their foot sat in the old shoe and how it had worn. And as soon as they got all the support and all the leverage that they, they needed in a brand new shoe, it threw their whole body out of whack. They weren't ready for it. So a good way to, to kind of head that off is to, for the first week, maybe two weeks, go every other day. Old shoe, new shoe, old shoe, new shoe, old shoe, new shoe. And then maybe new shoe, new shoe, old shoe, new shoe, new shoe, old shoe, and then ride it out. Boom. But that gives your body some time to, to lock in and adapt to the new shoe so that you're not overdoing it. Um, but that's, that's actually a really good <laughs> insider tip that not, not a lot of people 
uh, no, and a big mistake that I think a lot of people make. So maybe just to wrap this one up, I'll give you one last question because we've gone through quite a few now. Uh, but I think this is a, another good one. I don't want to leave it out. So uh, this individual is asking specifically about a workout question. So I'll read this one out too. If I'm doing a track workout and I have goal times for each interval with a planned recovery time between each interval, what's the better option if I'm starting to feel fatigued early? Uh, and then he gives a, a couple options. He says, should I one, should I stop, uh, stop running entirely? Uh, should I just keep the, the perceived interval stop, like the, 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 the goal recovery time and just let the, let the uh, intervals be what they are? Should I extend the recovery time and just run a little bit quicker on these intervals, make sure I can hit the goal times? Um, or should I cut the workout short? Right. So, so stop. Or is there another uh, alternative? Somebody also says run on a treadmill so you fly off the back if you can't keep up. Um, all right, so let me go through these. I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, don't don't fly off the back of the the treadmill. I'm not looking to get people injured here. I, I don't I don't like that one. Um, other there probably are other ways you can approach this too, but I'm also gonna say unless you're just Okay, there there is a state a state where you could just cut the, the the entire workout, but you'd have to be blowing up pretty bad. So let's say let's give an example. You're doing six by eight hundred, so the example here is eight by eight hundred. So let's do eight by eight hundred. So yaso eight hundreds, um, with three minutes recovery between each one. That's long recovery. Um, so you're doing eight by eight hundred with three minutes recovery. And you're really starting to struggle after number four and number five. What do you do? So to me, it depends. So let's say your goal pace on these is 305 for your 800. And you hit 310 on number four, 313 on number five. Okay, so it's, it's not looking good. You're starting to fall off. I say then at that point, to me, that says go by perceived effort. Go what feels like. 305 pace your goal is 305 aim for 305 pace if it falls far enough off if you're running 335 340 and you're aiming for 305 yeah cut it day's over um, because you've you've overextended especially if you know that that's a pace you should be able to run if you're just feeling exhausted and redlining and you know you're really overextending yourself yeah it's time to call it a day but generally my thought and the way I approach this with my athletes is go by perceived effort. And this is especially true on days where it's raining and gross and windy. Um, or if you've had a couple hard workouts in a row and you knew this was going to be a tough workout, let's just lock it in, get as close as we can to whatever the perceived effort is. And this goes back to the, the answer I gave before for the long runs. Your body doesn't know that it covered a half mile in three minutes it just knows it ran three it ran three minutes pretty dang hard uh and so as long as you're doing the perceived effort for that duration it doesn't matter if you covered 800 meters or 805 meters uh, your body's not gonna not gonna recognize that that difference in how it responds physiologically now <laughs> at the end of the day it does kind of matter how how quickly you can cover that distance because that's going to tell you how quickly you can race that distance 
and that's what's, what matters practically for us. But as far as getting the response you need out of your body and pushing your body forward and continuing to improve, there are some days where you're just going to feel like garbage, and 305 is going to, in actuality, be 310. That's okay. Uh, but it's learning the difference. It's not just letting yourself give up because, hey, I've had enough. <laughs> so, but hopefully, hopefully that's a good answer for you. Um, and I think the more you run, the more you'll be able to recognize what days are days where you need to just, hey, let's throw the watch aside and it's just by perceived effort. I still need to time the recovery, but I'm not changing the recovery. The recovery is the recovery and my body needs to learn how to respond to this. All right. That is a good place to wrap her up. Hopefully you were able to take some, some interesting ideas away from those quick question responses, uh, a little bit impromptu, but hopefully, uh, good answers, uh, considering it gives you to a flavor for what the Facebook group is like and the types of questions that are being asked there. A lot of people are helping each other out. Like I said, our coaches jump in and provide their responses. You may find some interesting responses on the questions that I answered even, um, that said, I encourage you to go check out that Instagram or the, uh, Facebook group. I've got a link in the description, or you can also search Facebook groups, Next Level Running. Find us there. Come participate in the community. I know a lot of us are missing it because of COVID, so it's a good opportunity to, to, to fill your running community needs in that way and to get access to some great coaches from the Rondoyan team. That said, that'll wrap up this special episode, uh, as I always do. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating, whatever you think is fair. Write in a couple words so that we know what you're thinking and others can take that to heart, know whether or not this is a good podcast, something worth their time. It also feeds the algorithm. And if you want to really help us out, share this with your friends, running partners, family members, whomever you think may find it interesting. That is the single best way that you can support this podcast and the work we're doing and make sure that we can continue to bring you more and interesting content every month. With that, I will be back here on the 26th of this month to have the full form Next Level Running podcast. Looking forward to seeing you then and continuing to grow our running community. As I always say, carpe corum, go seize the run. Thank you for joining us here on the Next Level Running Podcast your source for training advice from the expert coaches at Run Doyen. If you're ready to take your training and racing to the next level, head over to rundoyen.com and get matched to your ideal coach who will provide you with the highly customized online training you need to start crushing your goals on race day.